Stories, fables, ghostly tales. Listeners, I'm back with two remastered Sherlock Holmes episodes for your lovely ears today. Our first episode is Deadly Dance, a dance that goes one, two, three, four, and your body hits that floor in the waltz of death. Sherlock and Watson have no idea why a hitman is taking out all those who play the waltz at their celebrations, nor do they know how, until the hitman himself steps forward. And scientists, what scientists? Yeah. Scientists keep disappearing in the Disappearing Scientists episode, go figure. Then they suddenly return, as if nothing had ever happened. Throw in a uranium plotline and... You get some interesting Sherlock Holmes and Watson action. What on earth is going on in these two episodes, Sherlock? Well, join me today for a tweaked and peaked audio set of two for both your lovely ears. And before we start, a huge thank you to my Patreon supporters, and if you want to support the show, visit my Patreon page at www.patreon.com forward slash sfgt. Now let's start the show. Enjoy. And now I'm sure our good friend Dr. Watson's expecting us. Let's go in and join. Good evening, Dr. Watson. Good evening, Mr. Bartell. All set for tonight's story? Yes, my boy, I'm all set, as you put it. It began in Vienna in 1889. The old Vienna of bright lights, lovely ladies, and lilting music. What were you and the great Sherlock Holmes doing there, Doctor? Mr. Bartell, what were we doing there? Yes, sir. Were you just taking a trip? Oh, in those early days of our association, we didn't have either the time or the money for trips. No, we were in Vienna with the express command of the Emperor Franz Josef. It was in October, I remember, that we arrived in the city, and for several days we were forced to cool our heels awaiting the imperial pleasure. And on one of those idle evenings, at the good services of our friend, the chief of police, Count Frano, secured us an invitation to a resplendent ball was being held at the palace of Princess Stephanie von Kram. It was an incredibly colorful spectacle, Mr. Bartell. A string orchestra high in the gallery of the palace ballroom played a haunting Strauss waltz, while on the floor below, the cream of Viennese aristocracy swayed and glided gaily to the lilting music. I can remember the picture so well, Mr. Bartell, that Holmes and I stood there talking to the chief of police, Count Prano. colorful scene, is it not, gentlemen? By George, yes, Captain Father. It must be a real holiday for you and Mr. Holmes. What makes you say that, Watson? Well, it's hard to think of the criminal world when one looks at such a gathering. And yet, Count Profano knows as well as I do that the criminal is not confined to class or environment. Indeed, no, Mr. Holmes. I can assure you that every guest here tonight has been scrutinized as he entered. Yes, I imagine that many plainclothes men are present in this room now, aren't they, Count Profano? Oh, yes. We take no chances. I suppose you can't afford to. There's enough jewelry being worn here tonight for a king's ransom, I should say. Ah, uh, the waltz is finished. Now I can present you to our hostess, Princess von Kram. 
Stephanie, my pigeon. My pigeon. Let's know the princess pretty well. Yes, I'm glad to see that in Vienna, the profession of criminal detection carries no social stigma. Allow me to present you Mr. Sherlock Holmes, Dr. Watson, the Princess Stephanie von Kram. I'm very honored to meet you, Your Highness. I'm most happy to meet you, gentlemen. Permit me to introduce my protege, Janos Hervat. The Hungarian composer? This call tonight, Mr. Holmes, will mark a rare occasion. A signal honor is to be conferred on Herr Horvath and myself before tonight is through. The next waltz is a new composition of his. Tonight will be its debut. Indeed, how very interesting. It is a great honor the princess has conferred on me. A new composition could not possibly be presented under more auspicious circumstances. Count Frana, you spoke of an honor in connection with yourself. May I tell them our secret, Stephanie? No, I will tell them myself, Anatole. After your waltz has been played, Janusz, and Anatole and I shall be the first to have the privilege of dancing to it, my father is to make a public announcement. He is to announce my engagement to Count Anatole Refon. Oh, indeed, my congratulations to you both. Very lucky fellow. Am I not the luckiest of men? Is she not exquisite? I, the gay man of Vienna, the cavalier who swore that no one woman would ever capture him, I confess it, gentlemen, I'm in love. Oh, but I pity you. Even the great waltzes of old Vienna could hardly be worthy of this moment. Oh, Anatole, you are a born flatterer. Oh, come, the waltz is about to begin. I shall see you, gentlemen, later. Auf Wiedersehen. Auf Wiedersehen. The orchestra is tuning up there, Horvath. I imagine this is a great moment for you. A very frightening one, I assure you, my friend. In a few minutes, I shall know whether my new work is to be crowned with success or failure. Dr. Prana is leading the princess to the center of the floor. The conductor is raising his battle. This is your moment, Herr Horvath. Good luck. Pray for me, gentlemen. Pray for me. There they go, the princess and Count Prana. They're starting the waltz. Ah, they make a striking pair, don't they? Here come the other couples out on the floor. Charming... Quite charming. It reminds me of... Great Scott, that that was a revolver shot. It's the princess. She's been shot. Come on, Watson. Out of the way, please. Out of the way. Come for final. What happens? Stephanie, Dr. Watson, see what you can do for her. Come for final, there's... There's nothing I can do, I'm afraid. She was shot through the brain. She died instantly. Stephanie is dead. Stop that devilish music. Lock all the doors. There's a murderer to be found. Count Rafano, have you found any clues? One of my men found a revolver. He'd been tossed into the earth of a potted palm. May I see it, please? Of course, here. Rammed into the soft earth. Confound it. Count Rafano, your fiancée was an extremely beautiful woman. You must have had rivals. Yes, several, but none of them are present tonight. Uh, who will inherit her estate? A six-month-old nephew. Who's his guardian? The Emperor Franz Josef himself. No, no, Mr. Holmes. I know of no obvious motive for someone wishing poor Stephanie dead. Well, perhaps it was a political crime. She was a wealthy aristocrat and a very prominent one. Yes, it's very possible. Many nihilist assassins have been active in my country recently. Meanwhile, we have a ballroom full of suspects waiting for us. I was just going to suggest we went back there. We can't find out very much by staying here in the library. It's a delicate matter. Almost everyone present tonight is known to me personally. Uh, May I suggest that you go back to the ballroom and have the male guests file past you? 
Detained for questioning anyone whose evening clothes do not fit perfectly. Clothes don't fit? What's the cut of a man's clothes got to do with this? Anyone invited to such a ball as this would naturally have his own tailor. I think, Count Rufano, if you found a man who had to hire his costume, uh, he might be an imposter and may well prove to be your assassin. Mr. Holmes, your plan has not been effective so far. You find one Englishman who is unusually badly dressed, and what do we discover? He's an English milord whose luggage was lost on the train. Yes, and the second suspect proved to be a perfectly respectable Viennese doctor whose nasty little child had taken the last-minute snip at his tailcoat with a pair of scissors. And the third was poor Horvath, the composer, who cannot get afford a good dress suit, eh? Well, Count Rufano, why not have the next suspect shown in? Yes, of course. Shoba! Bring in the next man. Yeah, Tom. Come and see here, Einbitter. Einbitter, what a frightful looking fellow. Your name, please. My name is Groening. What do you wish with me? Groening? Your name was not on the list of invitations. Uh, one moment, please. Let me see your right hand, Herr Groening. You have no right <clears throat> to touch me. Uh, where did you get these fresh earth stains? Your right thumb is pitted and the nail is full of dirt. What does that poor policeman... Not a short while ago, you tried to hide your revolver by ramming it into an earth-filled flower pot. You know that revolver, please, Count Rufano. It will be easy to compare the samples of earth. It will not be necessary. You, you admit that you murdered the princess tonight, then? Certainly, I admit it. Why did you kill her? She was an aristocrat. She was an oppressor of the poor. I'm glad I killed her. One day, I and my party will kill all of you filthy aristocrats. Count put down that revolver. Shoot him like the dark he is. No, 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 Count Rufano, even you can't take the law into your own hands. Why do you not shoot me? I'm not afraid to die. I haven't taken away, Shoba. Thank you for stopping my hand just now, Doctor. But when he spoke of Stephanie that way, I could have killed him just as he killed her. Very understandable impulse, sir, but... Uh... One that would have ruined your life. My life? Now that she is dead, my life is empty. What right do love and beauty have to exist in a world that no longer holds Stephanie? She was all light and life and loveliness. And now... But I am hardly displaying my Viennese blood, am I? The murder is caught, thanks to you, Mr. Holmes, and... My life, such as it is, must go on somehow. That's how the story began, Mr. Bartell. It began? It sounds like the end of a story to me, Doctor. Far from it, my boy. The next day, Holmes and I had our interview with His Imperial Majesty and learned the nature of the services expected of us, services that required our leaving the city. And that's why, my boy, we were gone from Vienna for some weeks. We didn't know that during our absence, Herr Holmes waltz which had had such a tragic debut, was beginning to make a sort of morbid history. Herr Baron, the Horvath We have had many requests for it. Gladly, we will play it, Herr Baron. Isn't that the Horvath Waltz they are playing? Yes, my dear, and see who is walking out to the floor to dance to it. Leah Mollenstein, the actress. Beautiful creature. Are you trying to make me jealous, Hans? Captain Himmelitz, Leah Wallstein, she's been shot!
a new ballet and to the music of the Horvat Waltz. Magnificent. Never has Krasnova danced better. Have you ever seen such exquisite pirouettes? in four weeks, Shoba. All beautiful women and all killed to the music of the Horvath Waltz. There's a homicidal madman at large in Vienna. There's only one thing to be done. We must forbid absolutely the playing of that waltz by imperial decree. Yeah, all of this, Mr. Bartell, until we return to Vienna. And then, I suppose, Sherlock Holmes was drawn into the case again, Doctor. Yes, my boy. Holmes immediately made a close study of the newspaper reports on the tragedies. And it was with great difficulty that I tore him away from his investigations to attend the reception at which the Emperor was to thank us for our services on the mission that we just completed. As we arrived at the Imperial Palace, almost the first person we ran into was the Hungarian composer, Janusz Dr. Watson, you have heard of the tragedies connected with my waltz? Yes, we have indeed. We have indeed. I was making a close study of the newspaper reports on them just before I came here. You must do something, Mr. Holmes. People will hardly listen to other music. They want my waltz, but that is forbidden. I'm losing a reputation and a fortune while that waltz remains unplayed. Or perhaps, Herr Horvath, you are laying an excellent foundation for a later reputation and fortune. What do you mean? All this publicity, however distasteful to you at the moment, must in the long run prove invaluable. Ah, there you are, my dear Count Fano. Mr. Holmes, Dr. Watson, I'm, I'm glad to see you back in Vienna. You've heard of the murders? Yes, Count. We were just discussing them. I need your help again, my good friend. For over a month now, the murder has been at large, and I cannot seem to get on the stage. But I'm crooning the first killer. What have you done with him? Released him. What? Released him? Great Scott, why? At the hearing, it was obvious the man was an egomaniac. He boasted of the murder of Stephanie, apparently out of pure vanity. The liberal newspaper editors made quite an issue of the case. They brought pressure to bear, and we had to let him go. Confound it. I wish I hadn't left Vienna. Well, the fellow's at large again, Count Fran. It's pretty obvious that he's the murderer of the other women, too. On the contrary, Doctor, he was in prison until yesterday. The last of the murders was committed three days ago. Oh, here comes his Imperial Highness, Mount Joseph. Uh, good evening, gentlemen. Your Highness. Good evening. Your Highness. Well, well, I see we have very distinguished company tonight. Not only the masterful Sherlock Holmes, and his colleague, Dr. Watson, our English friends that we are honoring. But I see that we have a distinguished representative from our Hungarian Empire, Janos Horvat, a worthy successor, I'm told, to the breed of composers for whom Vienna is famous. Your Imperial Highness is most kind. There's a pipe organ in here. It's in excellent condition, I am told. Will you not play as one of your compositions, Herr Horvat? Well, I shall be most honored, Your Highness. Sit down, gentlemen, sit down. Thank you. What shall I play, Your Imperial Highness? Anything you wish, young man. Anything you wish. Thank you, Your Highness. With your permission, I choose to play... Great heavens! He's playing the death waltz. On your guard, Watson. Even in the Imperial Palace itself, this twirling tune may invoke murder.
hear the rest of Dr. Watson's story in just a second, which just gives me time to remind you that if any one wine could be called the perfect wine for almost any occasion, that one wine would be Petri California Sherry. Petri Sherry is not only a fine before dinner wine, but it's wonderful after dinner too. And of course, when you're entertaining or when guests drop in, whether in the afternoon or evening, there's nothing better than a glass of Petri Sherry. And it's comforting to know that you can serve Petri Sherry proudly because the name Petri is the proudest name in the history of American wines. Dr. Watson, you certainly left me hanging on a cliff that time. You broke off your story just as the Hungarian composer started to play his ill-fated waltz to the Emperor Franz Joseph. What happened? At the time, my boy, fortunately, nothing happened. Jehovah completed his composition without apparent incident. And shortly afterwards, we attended a banquet that was given in our honor. A banquet that concluded with a rather curious ceremony in which the emperor presented Sherlock Holmes with a medal to commemorate his services. Uh, I don't think it was. Oh, 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 about that. Finally, it was shortly after 10 o'clock, I remember, Holmes and I, together with Count Rufrano, left the royal chambers and started to descend the spiral staircase leading to the main hall. You were greatly honored tonight, Mr. Holmes. I've only known His Imperial Highness to make three such presentations before, and they were all to my own country. Well, he might have made another while he was about no, please, it. Watson, please, Watson, please. The Emperor was most kind. I can't help feeling that he over-evaluated my You're services. You're being though. unusually modest, Holmes. Perhaps because I feel that my visit here is incomplete until I've solved the death loss murders. I hope you'll be able to stay in Vienna long enough to do that. I confess I am at my wit's end. I've been giving the matter a great deal of thought, Count Rufano. I have a plan for trapping the killer. It's in rather an embryonic stage at the moment, but over a few pipes at the hotel tonight, I expect to develop it thoroughly. I shall call at your office in the morning and explain it to you. I shall be awaiting your visit eagerly. Oh, one more of these murders in the newspaper outcry might become so loud that I should have to resign my post as chief of police. Well, when Hobart made that daring gesture and played the death waltz tonight, it proved one thing. It's not infallible. The death of a beautiful woman doesn't always follow the playing of the melody. Very true, Doctor, but... What? Yes, sir? Strike a match, will you? Huh? There's a figure here slumped on the landing. They've got it. body of a girl. And a very beautiful girl, too. Shot through the forehead. You were wrong, Watson. The death waltz is infallible. But I swear to you that the killer has struck for the last time. Oh, there you are, my dear Counsel Plano. Yes, I followed the instructions you gave me this morning, Mr. Holmes. Chainbaum's is at the moment the smartest restaurant in Vienna. I've reserved the best table for you, and I've invited the guests that you named. A strangely assorted couple, I must say. Janos Horvat, the composer, and that grinning fellow, the one that admitted shooting your your fiance, Count Plano. It's as much as I could do to keep my hands off him when he arrived here, Doctor. But Mr. Holmes insisted that I ask him. Just the same, I wish you would tell me his plan. I'm completely in the dark. Completely in the dark. I can sympathize with you, Count Refrano. Holmes never tells me a thing either. Let's join our guests, shall we? In a very few minutes, I'm sure that my uh, plan will be perfectly apparent. Good evening, Herr Horvath. Oh, good evening, Mr. Holmes. Dr. Watson. How do you do, Herr Horvath? And how are you tonight, Herr Gruning? Angry at having to come here against my will. My party does not approve of these aristocratic padded pigsties. But Count Refrano informed me that if I did not come here tonight, 
I could expect to find myself back in prison. How could I resist such a persuasive invitation? Ah, here comes the third guest for our table. I met her at the hotel a few hours ago. Oh, Miss Banks, I'm so glad that you were able to come. Hello, Mr. Holmes. I didn't know this was going to be a party, but I couldn't be happier. Allow me to present you, Count Fano, Dr. Watson, Herr Horvat, Herr Gruning, Miss Barbara Banks from the United States how of America. Do you know, how do you do, uh, Holmes? I wish I knew what you're up to. And how can a young American girl afford to come to Vienna, may I ask? Of course you can ask. My father made a lot of money, and he wanted me to have the advantages he never had. Your father made money because he ground the faces of the poor. <laughs> My father never ground a poor face in his life. He was a capitalist. I spit on him. Oh, that's rather unfriendly. And also, geographically speaking, something of a problem. You see, he's living in Wyoming. You make fun of me. <laughs> Only because you made fun of me. Uh, Mr. Holmes, I did as you asked me. I'm very grateful, Miss Banks. The orchestra leader didn't want to play it. He, he seemed scared. But I waved a lot of money in front of him, and I promised to pay the fine as well. Splendid. Great Scott, I see it all now. So do I. You persuaded Miss Banks to bribe the orchestra leader to play. My waltz. My forbidden waltz? Yes, Herr Horvath. I felt that if the request came from a young American, it might seem quite reasonable. Particularly if the requests were accompanied by American talus crowned out of the faces of the poor. You are being unpleasant to me, aren't you? They're playing at your waltz, Herr Horvath. The deft waltz. Mr. Holmes, this is against the law. The Horvath waltz is forbidden by imperial decree. True, nonetheless, my dear Count, I implore you not to arrest the orchestra leader until after the waltz is completed. In which case, since I requested it and it's still playing, I'd like a partner. W will you dance with me, Count Rufrano? I'm sorry, Miss Banks, but with this melody, I shall never dance again. Oh. Well, how about you, Dr. Watson? Oh, I like you very much, my dear, but I'm afraid I'm not as light on my, on my feet as I used to be. In any case, I was never much of a hand at the waltz. See, <laughs> polka's more in my line. Dear me, I'm getting an inferiority complex. Oh, please do not, Miss Banks. You'll observe that the general public seems singularly unwilling to dance, too. Not one couple has ventured onto the floor. Oh, can you blame them? The waltz with Horvath may mean death. How can you blame them? I'm not afraid. After all, Herr Horvath, it's your own music. I'll dance with you. You're most kind, Miss Banks, and courageous. But to be a partner of the only woman on the floor would mean ruin. An admission of failure. My third refusal? I'm a wallflower. No, my dear Miss Banks, the aristocrats, they're afraid. But I, plain, simple groaning, I will dance with you, Miss Millions. Oh, bless you, Herr Groening. And I assure you, my father does not grind the faces of the poor. He does grind the faces of the poor. This Stop her. It's suicide. I think not, Herr Horvath. I think so. And I'll not stay here to watch it. Where the devil's he off to? Do not worry, Doctor. I shall keep an eye on him. Yes, and we'll keep an eye on both of them. Come on, Watson. Oh, but he's leaving the room. But as Count Rofrano has deserted his trail and has slipped behind one of those pillars. Good Lord, he, he's drawing a revolver. Exactly, Watson. He's our man. Put down that revolver, Count Rofrano. Put it down, I say. He's turning it on himself. Count Rofrano! I still can't believe it, Holmes. Not the fact that Count Rofrano blew his brains out, but the fact that he was a murderer. Yes, I was slow to believe it too, old chap, and I blame myself for consequence. Two things should have been instantly apparent about the madman who killed beautiful women when he heard the Horvath waltz. Firstly, he must have had some motivation which drove him to such an act. Secondly, he must have carried a revolver with him at all times, since he was invariably armed when the occasion presented itself. Exactly, and that factor made me think of the police official. Then, of course, I saw Rafrano's motivation. He loved the Princess Stephanie dearly. 
Her death in his arms was a psychological shock that was more than his mentality could stand. When he heard that music, it reminded him of the dead princess. It forced him to kill. That's right, old fellow. You will recall that uh, when he said to us after his fiancée's death, what right do love and beauty have to exist in a world that no longer holds Stephanie? When he heard the music, he couldn't bear to think that other loveliness existed, and so, well, he, he destroyed it. But who killed the Princess Stephanie? The man who was first arrested for it, Herr Grinning. He admitted it. After a little persuasion, when the police arrived, taken back to prison in the carriage that just took Count Frano's body. It's shocking to think that seven innocent women have been murdered before this case was solved. Yes, a fact that will be a constant reproach to me, I assure you. Oh, I didn't mean that, my dear fellow. We weren't even in Vienna when five of the killings took place. Hello, hello. Here comes Miss Banks. Mr. Holmes, what happened to that funny little man who danced with me? Herr Grinning? Mm -hmm. <laughs> He went to prison, Miss Banks. He was a murderer. Well, I must say this is a strange kind of a party you asked me to, Mr. Holmes. One of the guests blows his brains out, and the other, the only man who danced with me, turns out to be a murderer. Oh, I see now why Father sent me to Europe. An evening like this could never happen in Wyoming. Look, look, look. Helmut's walking out in, in front of the orchestra. Ladies and gentlemen. Shh, listen. Ladies and gentlemen. I almost thought of that wish to assure you, upon the word of the great English detective, Sherlock Holmes, that never again shall my new walk be an accompaniment for murder. <laughs> Henceforth, its melody will be for life and love and laughter. I have ordered a bottle of the finest tokay sent to each of your tables. Raise your glasses and pledge me as I now conduct my walk. Free at last, from the kiss of death. Say, Doctor, I... I, I really like that story. That was a baffle. Yes, wasn't it? A highly placed police official is the last person in the world you'd think guilty of murder. I must confess I wasn't of so much help to, to Holmes in solving that case. Oh, don't let that worry you, Doctor. After all, Holmes almost missed solving it himself. Oh, thank you, my boy. Nice of you, thank you. But it certainly was one of the most interesting cases that I was ever connected with. I know what you mean. You know, I, I came across quite an interesting case myself the other day. Oh, you don't say where. Right in my own house. Oh, that's interesting. Well, what kind of, kind of case? Sherry. Oh, <laughs> That's right, a case of Petri California Sherry. You see, I buy it by the case, Doctor, because that Petri wine is really extraordinary. But all Petri wine is unusual wine, unusually good, because the Petri family has been making wine for generations. Because this is so, and because the Petri business has been owned and operated by the Petri family ever since its beginning, and is today the largest independent family-owned wine company in America, naturally, the name Petri on a bottle of wine is more than a trademark. It's the personal assurance of the Petri family that every drop of wine in that bottle is good wine. Naturally good wine because Petri took time to bring you good wine. Good evening, Doctor. Good evening, Mr. Bartell. Here, Bartell. Down, down, Monty. Down, down there. Don't seem very chipper tonight. Yes, tonight, yes, but they've been in disgrace most of the day, Mr. Bartell. Oh? What have they been up to? After the seals again, Doctor? Oh, my boy, this time it was chickens. They got into my neighbor's coop and had a delightful time. 
Fortunately, there were no casualties, but I'm afraid that my, uh, <laughs> my good neighbor policy has suffered a slight diplomatic strain. But you come here to listen to Sherlock Holmes' adventures, not those of my dog, so uh, draw up your usual chair and make yourself comfortable, and uh, I'll get on with tonight's story. Last week, Doctor, you told us it was a case in which Sherlock Holmes found the solution without ever meeting any of the suspects. That's quite correct, Mr. Bartell. As remarkable as an exhibition of long-distance detection as I ever recall. But uh, judge the story for yourself, my boy. It was in the autumn of 1903, and... Sherlock Holmes was about to retire to his bee farm on the Sussex Downs. I must confess, Mr. Bartell, that my heart was heavy during those last few weeks we spent at Baker Street. I thought of the countless adventures that we'd shared together. I remembered those many evenings of quiet comradeship and companionship. A fire blazing away in the heart as Holmes lay back in the shadows playing his beloved violin. And then, Mr. Bartell, as so often happened, there'd be a violent jangle on our doorbell and some wretched soul in misery would be standing before us and pouring out his troubles. Suddenly the violin would be discarded, and Holmes the dreamer would become Holmes the man of action. Come, Watson, the game's afoot, he'd say. And in a few moments later, we'd be rattling off in a cab through the foggy, gaslit London streets. Yes, Doctor, I can imagine it was pretty hard for you to leave Baker Street. It was, Mr. Bartell. However, as it transpired, there was one more adventure awaiting us before we left. A few days before the actual move, I persuaded Holmes to take an afternoon off from his packing and accompany me on a visit to the laboratory of an old friend of mine, a Professor Jean Boulin. He was an eminent French scientist engaged in very important work at the London University. Oh, by the way, this was at a period, Mr. Bartell, when radium was something extremely new and extremely rare. The university had just acquired a minute but invaluable portion of the element, and Professor Boulin was in charge of the research connected with it. I can remember the picture so well as Holmes stood in the laboratory talking with keen interest. Quite amazing. Think that this tiny leaden vessel contains one of the most precious substances in the world. Yes, Mr. Holmes. We have a great deal to thank Madame Curie for. This new element may force us entirely to revise our concepts of all physical structure. Your research is a great responsibility, Boulin. It is, Watson. Well, I must confess that I wish the authorities here would give me a freer hand. I foresee such infinite possibilities in the use, particularly the medical use of radium. But my conservative superiors seem to regard it only as a toy, a scientific curiosity. Limit your experiments accordingly, I suppose. Exactly. Given no opportunity to do anything that's in the least radical. Mm, must be very disheartening. How can research ever get anywhere along those lines? It is a great misfortune, Holmes, that you've determined to retire to your bee farm. <laughs> uh, this project, we could use such an analytical mind as yours. <laughs> you flatter me, Professor. How many assistants do you have working with you, Buller? Three, but none of them are very inspired, I'm afraid. What? My best assistant is a man named Barker. He's a little on the conservative side, too. But he is extremely adroit. The other two, a young man called Taylor and the girl Gladys Hughes, they mean well. But gauche, I fear, is the only word to describe them. <laughs> why, why, why do you laugh, Taylor? I was just amused to observe that in describing my assistants, I chanced to be literal as well as figurative. It's odd that random symbolism can sometimes... Uh, uh, but never mind that. 
You would like to see this to the laboratory? Yes, yes, indeed we yes, would. thank you very I much. I have some extraordinarily interesting photographic plates that record the emanations of radium. They're over here. I think you will find them most fascinating. Baker Street, particularly when our rooms are full of packing cases, seems rather drab after the scientific stimulations of Professor Boulin's laboratory. Isn't it, old chap? Yes, it seemed drab even if we hadn't been to see him. I feel frightfully depressed, Holmes. I just don't know what I'm going to do without you. Oh, you're still a young man, Watson, and a susceptible one. You'll marry again. No, no, I won't. Yes, <laughs> you will, old chap. And you'll end up by being glad that your old roommate, your difficult, rather unsociable old roommate, is living in retirement on the Sussex Downs. Rubbish. I shan't feel anything of the kind. In any case, I don't think you'll be able to stay in retirement for long. Your mind is much too alert to be satisfied by being a sort of midwife to a bunch of beastly bees. Oh, dear Watson. I feel that you'll never eat honey again. Yes, you can laugh, Holmes, but I could see how excited you were when Boo suggested that you might help him with his radium experiment. Well, flattering suggestion, I must admit, my dear fellow. Just the same, I... Oh, now, who the devil's that? From the urgency of the tug on the bell pull, I'd say that it was a clan. Then go and head him off, will you, old chap? Yes, I'll, I'll do my best. Oh, Watson, explain that I'm no longer in practice. It's too late, Holmes. He's bust past Mrs. Hudson. Here he comes rushing up the stairs. Oh, confound it. I beg your pardon, sir. Are you but, Mr. Uh, Sherlock you... Holmes? Uh, no, I am not Sherlock. Then you must be Mr. Holmes. That is my name, sir. But may I ask what accounts for your rather whirlwind entrance? My housekeeper, Mrs. Hudson... I haven't any time to consider oh. etiquette. My sister Gladys Hughes has vanished. Vanished mm -hmm. into thin air. You've got to find her for me, Mr. Holmes. I'll pay you any fee you name, but you've got to find her. Uh, Mr. Hughes, I'm extremely sorry that your sister has vanished, but I'm afraid that I can do nothing to help you. I'm retiring. I'm giving up my practice. If you won't help me, I'll go to someone who will. That's exactly what I mean, sir. I suggest that you go to the police, or if you insist on a private investigator, I can strongly recommend Mr. Martin Hewitt. Yes, his address is um, 39 Pont Street, Knightsbridge. Good day to you. Uh, good day, Mr. Hughes. 36 Pont Street, Knightsbridge. <clears throat> As I can understand his concern, but his manners leave a great deal to be desired. Holmes, Holmes. Janice Hughes, his missing sister. That was the name of one of Professor Boulin's assistants, wasn't it? True, old fellow, but it's uh, probably only a coincidence. What? Both Christian and surnames are extremely common ones. Well, I... I have a feeling that it may not be a coincidence. Oh, come now, my dear fellow. Don't you try and embroil me in a fresh adventure. I've retired and I'm leaving for Sussex in a few days. And if any more clients come wrenching at my doorbell, I shall ignore them. But, Mr. Holmes, you've got to help me. My son, Jeffrey Barker, has disappeared. I'm sorry, Mrs. Barker, but I'm afraid I'm... But Holmes, Jeffrey Barker was the name of Professor Lawrence's chief assistant. Uh, Watson, please believe me when I say that I am not to be inveigled into any further... Uh, Mrs. Taylor, I'm sorry, but I can't help you. Oh, but Mr. Holmes, it's my husband. He's disappeared. We, we've only been married three months, and now, oh, it's terrible. I, I've been so worried ever since he started to work on that strange new radium with Professor Jean Bellin. Holmes, you can't pretend it's coincidence any longer. Gladys Hughes, Jeffrey Barker, and now Taylor. The three assistants of Professor Buller. Oh, I know it, Watson. Mrs. Taylor, the moving van will be here tomorrow to take my things to Sussex. I shall follow them immediately. I have retired, madam. Do you understand that? Retired. Yes, another telegram for you, Holmes. It'll be the fourth today. Why will Scotland Yard leave me alone? Well, it's a pretty strange business. Three people engaged in research of this new element, radium... They've all disappeared within 48 hours. 
Scotland Yard needs your help. Let them earn their salaries, my dear Watson. I've helped them for the last time. Well, let's see how they've couched their latest diffusion. Oh, this isn't from Scotland Yard. It's from my brother, Mycroft. Mycroft? What's he going to say? Listen to this. Now Professor Boulin has disappeared. Great Scott. And the radium with him. Surely the pattern is obvious, Sherlock. Radium must be found. Could solve the problem for you, but I'm too lazy. Consider what a flashy case for you to retire on regards Mycroft. Ah, <laughs> the old devil. Holmes, this is shocking. My old friend Boulin has, has disappeared. Yes, Watson, and now my brother asks me to investigate. Hmm. The pressure becomes irresistible. Very well. I bow to fate and postpone my retirement for a few hours. Good man, Holmes. You know, you'll you'll never really retire. Now, let me see. As Mycroft says, there's an obvious pattern in this case. Our first step, of course, will be to interview all the doctors who treat patients without charge. Why? Well, surely that's obvious. Well, it isn't at all obvious to me. I... Don't know why you always leave me in the dark. <laughs> well, what makes you laugh? <laughs> Being left in the dark. It's just like the old times, isn't it, Holmes? <laughs> Come on, old fellow, let's go. The game's afoot. Uh, Dr. MacDonald, this is Mr. Sherlock Holmes. Mr. Sherlock Holmes, eh? I'm very glad to meet you. And are you, uh, Dr. MacDonald? I swear that I've never been in as many doctor's offices as I have today. But Mr. Holmes is in search of some information. Perhaps, Doctor, you, you can help him. I'll do my best. Uh, what do you want to know, Mr. Holmes? Uh, whether you have any charity patients with skin eruptions or growths of any kind. I mean, oh. patients that have not kept their appointments recently, perhaps. Now, let me see. Why, why yes, I do. Old Mrs. Pendle. She has a very bad case of lupus. She was due for a treatment here yesterday, and I've seen nothing of her. Splendid. Can you give me her address? Why, certainly. It's in my book here. Well, I hope this isn't a false trail, Holmes. You can only explore it and see, dear chap. Ah, uh, here we are. Mrs. Pendle. <clears throat> 36 Elm Gardens, Clapham. Mrs. Pendle, 36 Elm Gardens, Clapham. Thank you, Doctor. I'm greatly obliged to you. Getting restless, Watson? Yes, I am a little. We've been waiting outside Mrs. Pendle's house for over an hour. Why don't we knock on the door? Chief, she's at home. Oh, no, 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 my dear chap. We mustn't frighten her. I hope that she's going to lead us to our quarry. You see... Shh, shh, shh. Front door's opening. The woman's coming out. Yes, it's Mrs. Pendle, beyond doubt. Look at that bandage around the upper part of her face. Yeah. Hello, she's turning down the street. We're going to follow her, I suppose. Naturally, but let's give, us a, let's give her a start, shall we? We don't want her to spot us. Well, while we're waiting, perhaps you'll clear up one or two points for me. I'm still very much in the dark. With pleasure, old chap. What puzzles you? Well, one of the things that Come I... Come on. Do... Huh? We've given her enough of a start. Let's follow her. Oh, very well, very well. But look here, home. You asked me what I didn't understand. Two things puzzle me. What did Mycroft mean by the pattern of the case? Why are we following a poor sick old lady through the London streets? I'll answer to the first question, and I think the answer to the second will be self-apparent. The pattern of the case is clear. Professor Boulin and his three assistants have vanished together with the radium, but their disappearances were not simultaneous. Had they been so, it would have been a transparent case of theft. But with the disappearances gradual rather than simultaneous, the emphasis has been subtly shifted. Yes, I can see that, Holmes, but what do you suppose is at the back of the whole business? It can't be a simple case of theft. Radium is enormously valuable. 
But it'd be hard stuff to sell again. Not to an unscrupulous criminal with a knowledge of medicine, Watson. My own theory, and I admit at the moment that it's purely a theory, is that Professor Boulin was worried because he was so hampered in his research. You remember that he stressed his great faith in the medical values of the new element, radium. Yes, 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 he did. It's more than possible that he places the rights of science above the rights of property, that he's determined that he and his group will carry on their invaluable research unhampered by the conservative restraints of the university. I see what you mean, Holmes, but how does Mrs. Pendle, the poor woman that we're following, enter the picture? Because one of the chief lines of radium research on the continent so far has been with her sort of trouble. Professor Boulin's obvious move, if my theory is correct, would be to contact poverty-stricken patients... Promise them relief, induce them to abandon their regular treatments, and submit to him. By Joe, yes, Holmes, that seems perfectly logical, and yet I can't believe that Boulin would... Mrs. Do... Pendleton has uh, reached her destination. She's turned down a driveway. Yes, yeah, she's walking up to what looks like a, a deserted well. Howdy, old chap. Don't let her out of our sight. She's opened the door without knocking. She's gone in. We'll wait here for a moment or two, then we'll follow her. I have a feeling that your old friend, Professor Boulin, is not far away, Watson. Yes, you're probably right. But I hope we can do something to protect him from the consequences of what he's done. It might easily mean the finish of a brilliant career. I'll do everything in my power, but you know as well as I do... Shh, shh, look, 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 look. Mrs. Pendle's coming out again. Yes, and she's in trouble. Come on. Mrs. Pendle, what's wrong? I don't know how you know my name or who you be, but you ask me what's wrong. They tell me to come here to this address, and I find a doctor who dealt my face. I comes here, and what do I find? What did you find, madam? A corpse, sir. That's what I find. A dead man lying there in a great pool of his own blood. Dr. Watson, so following the tracks of old Mrs. Pendle led you to a corpse, huh? Yes, Mr. Bartell. Of course, Sherlock Holmes and I went at once into the broken-down warehouse to examine the scene of the tragedy. Slumped over a desk in a darkened, shabby room, a flickering candle giving a macabre lighting to the scene was the body of a man. I think I knew its identity even before Holmes turned to me. Professor Boulin, all right, Watson. Good devil. Murdered, of course. Yes, but examine him for yourself, will you? Yes. Yes, there's no doubt about it. This wound couldn't have been self-inflicted. The right oracle of the heart has, has been pierced. How long ago would you estimate death took place? Well, uh, not more than a couple of hours ago, I should say. Uh, not hard to reconstruct the killing. The murderer came up from behind Boulin as he sat here. Crooked an arm around his throat. Yes. See the finger marks on the right-hand side of the neck? Here? And then stabbed him in the chest. And then withdrew the weapon and disappeared. Leaving no traces, confound it. A dusty room is an ideal place for recording footprints, but uh, there are half a dozen different prints here, including Mrs. Pendle's. Hello. Here's the print of a smaller woman's shoe. Well, it must be that of Gladys Hughes, his assistant. Undoubtedly. But that really proves nothing except that she was here with him. The fact that we were convinced of anyway. Mm. Question is... Come on. Let's go outside and talk to Mrs. Pendle again. Poor old Boulin. What a shocking way to die. And what a great loss to science. I suppose the murderer must have stolen the radium. We found no trace of it in there. Undoubtedly, the possession of the radium was the motive for the murder. Uh, Mrs. Pendle. The poor man is dead, ain't he, sir? I'm afraid so, madam. I knew it. 
I never should have come here. I never should have left Dr. MacDonald. Mrs. Pendle, let me ask you a question. I can't be answering no questions, sir. I don't know nothing about how the poor soul got himself murdered. What would a poor woman like me know about no, such no, things? No, 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 my good woman. My friend isn't suggesting at all that you know anything about the murder. Then what do you want to know, sir? Who told you to come to this address today, Mrs. Pendle? A young lady. Nice young lady she was, too. She met me coming out of Dr. MacDonald's yesterday and told me that if I come here today, I'd find a doctor who could cure me. Yeah, that was obviously Miss Hughes. Holmes, I believe that your theory was right. Come on, Mrs. Pendle. We'll escort you to the nearest police station where you can report the murder. Yes, sir. And then, Watson, we must keep on the track of the radium. That, perhaps, is more important than any life. Well, how are we going to do that? We haven't a clue to go on. Remember that Professor Boulin's three assistants are still missing. We must go to the homes of each of them and see what can be found out. Mr. Hughes, you must realize by now that your sister's disappearance is part of something vastly more significant than you think. I must ask you in the My first... sister didn't disappear, Mr. What do you mean, sir? You came to us and said that she had. Oh, it was all a mistake, gentlemen. She came back today. She had just been down to the seaside for a short rest, and she'd forgotten to let me know. I'm sorry to have bothered you. May I see your sister at once, please? I'm sorry, Mr. Holmes, but she's out just now. I don't know where she's gone or what time she'll be back. Mrs. Barker, I've come to you about your son's disappearance. I'm afraid that... Oh, but my son didn't disappear, Mr. Holmes. It was all misunderstanding. He came home today. Then may we speak to him, please, Mrs. Barker? Oh, I'm afraid that's impossible. You see, he... Mrs. Taylor, I want to talk to you about your husband's disappearance. Oh, that. He came home this afternoon, Mr. Holmes. At first I was so suspicious, but but when he explained, well... well, I'm sure you know how it is in the first few months of marriage, those those little tears. Confound it, Watson. We are no nearer the solution. And meanwhile, here we are back in Baker Street to find that the moving van has taken all your things off to Sussex. Perhaps you should give up the case, Holmes, and follow them. Close my career on a note of failure. No, 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 my dear fellow. I shall not leave London until this problem is solved. Oh, that case, I'll, I'll sit down. <coughs> Looks to me as if it may prove a lengthy wait. I've rarely felt more frustrated, Watson. All three vanished technicians home safely with plausible stories, or at least plausible alibis, and poor Boulin murdered... The radium stolen. Well, I must say it makes no sense to me. Well, it must make sense. The pattern was well enough to find in the beginning. It's just a question of finding the right key. In a way, it's clear enough what's happened. One of the three assistants, placing the financial value of radium above its value to science, murdered Boulin to obtain the prize. The other two, fearing that their complicity in the original part would involved them as accomplices in murder, ran home and established an alibi. And the murderer did the same thing, for it's obvious one of the three must be the killer and the thief. Yes, the question is, which one of the three is the culprit? If only poor Boulin were alive, he could help us. My dear chap, if Boulin were alive, there would be no murderer. Well, of course it wouldn't. Course he wouldn't. Now, let's see, let's see, let's see. Boulin gave us a few bare facts about his three assistants. I, I wonder... But, of course, Watson... I have the answer. The case is solved. What do you mean, Holmes? How can it be solved? You haven't done enough investigation. If it comes to that, you haven't even seen any of your three suspects. That isn't necessary. Oh, you know who did it? Yes, Watson, and so should you. But we know nothing to set them apart from each other, except that one of them's a girl. We know more than that, my dear fellow. Think hard. Well, Boulin told us that 
Jeffrey Barker was an excellent technician, while the other two were somewhat uh, clumsy. We know even more than that. Well, I'm if I know what, Holmes. I shan't even need to stay in London and follow the case through to its logical conclusion. A telegraph uh, to uh, Mycroft and another to uh, Scotland Yard to take care of it, yes. And I can be in Sussex before the moving van, after all. Oh, you mean you're going now before the case is solved? But it is solved, my dear fellow. All that remains to be done is some purely routine work. Uh, what's the time? Uh, so look at... Uh... Just three o'clock. Uh, splendid. If we hurry, we can catch the 345 Express from Waterloo. We? Yes, I, um, I was counting on you spending a few days down there with me, old chap. I, I hope you can spare the time. I should hate to make so drastic a change without, uh, my good old friend Watson at my side. Oh, of course, I'm uh, delighted, but, uh, but... But uh, what, my dear boy? The case of the disappearing scientists. Wait until we get to Sussex, shall we? Hmm? As soon as I get an answer to my telegrams, I'll explain the whole thing to you. And now let's hurry, shall we? Our train leaves in 40 minutes. More tea, Watson? Thanks, old boy. Ah, peaceful down here, isn't it? Extremely. At the moment, I must confess, I find it rather nerve-wracking. Oh, why? Uh, You know why, Holmes. I want you to open that telegram and tell me if your solution to the... The Moulin case was the correct one. Very well, my dear chap. Let's see. Uh-huh. It's Mycroft. Listen. Murderer arrested and radium recovered. Well done, Sherlock, though you took longer than I expected. Regards, Mycroft. Oh, congratulations, Holmes. <laughs> and now perhaps you'll condescend to, to tell me how you solved it. Don't be angry with me, old chap. I only oh. wanted to make sure that my solution uh, was correct. You remember the... Uh, the nature of the fatal wound on Boulin's body? Of course. He'd been stabbed through the right oracle of the heart. From behind. Proving that the mirror was clearly right-handed. Oh, what does that signify? Almost everybody's right-handed. Oh, no, not in this case. If you recall, Professor Boulin said that uh, Geoffrey Barker was adroit, while his other two assistants were gauche. Then he laughed because he said his remark was true, both literally and figuratively. I still don't see what I'm talking about. Oh, come now, Watson, come. Uh, think of the origin of the word adroit. Ardois. Droit is the French word for right. And gauche is, is the word for left. Meaning the two gauche assistants were left-handed, and therefore only the adroit, the right-handed Barker, could have inflicted the fatal wound. I see it now, Holmes. <laughs> you know, if you'd remembered that mark of Boulin's at the time we found his body, you could have solved the case much sooner. That's true, old fellow, very true. <laughs> and when my old friend Watson points out that my memory is failing and my mind sluggish, then I know that my retirement has been postponed for far too long. So Holmes really went through with his idea of becoming a bee farmer. Yes, of course, of course. It became one of his favorite hobbies. Do you know anything about the, the raising of bees? Oh, nothing at all. The only connection I've ever had with bees was very remote. Once I had the hives. Once you had the... Oh, no, oh, no, no, Mr. Barker. <laughs> oh, yes, Dr. Watson. Mate, got to love this episode. The twists and turns of the waltz of death. Boy, yo, that guy was a crack shot with the gun. And then to turn the gun on himself, goodness, just awful. And the scientist disappearing to only return, where the clue was in the dialogue of the victim the whole time. (laughs) Gotta love these classics. Mates, I remastered this episode with a new tool in my tool set, 
and that tool was only possible thanks to those that donate. First up is my Ode Knight D Titan, my queen of cats, and the queen of my support, Maya. Thanks to you, I put money aside each month to purchase Neutron Elements 3, which allows me to equalize the audio in a very, very special way. It uses artificial intelligence to understand the audio, build an audio landscape as it were, so that I can then massage and tweak the audio to give you listeners the best experience. Very, very cool and very, very powerful. Thank you, you legend. You're truly a godsend, Maya. I'm lucky to have you. My white tea warlord, Lezer of Loxley. <laughs> Mate, thanks to your support, I've been grabbing myself some sound bites, audio, and music of all genres to continue to build a database of fantastic audio for my upcoming episodes. This Wednesday will be testimony for new music and sounds. Thank you, man. You're absolutely fantastic. And I hope you're doing great. And my second white tea warlord, Paige Kramer, my crystal warden. Mate, thank you, Paige, for your lovely emails and comms, as always. Thanks to you, I'm able to invest in Soundcrate and more stings and special effects subscriptions. All donations put to good use, of course. I'm also going to be putting to good use the money for some artwork and design for the podcast. It's going to be a riot. Thank you so, so much, mate. You're bloody marvellous. And my Earl Grey enforcers I am lucky to have. Just Heather, Juicebox Andy, Peter Raffelli, Dolphin and Cow, Michelangelo, Yakone, Divided by Zero, and Leah Fassig. Thank you, you legends. If you want to support the show as well, visit my Patreon, which I mentioned in the intro of the show, and if you want to reach out to me, as some of you lovelies do, you can email me at storiesfablesghostlytales at gmail.com. Share your own stories, make recommendations, say hi, don't be shy, and I promise you, you'll hear from me. Thank you, you lovelies. See you Wednesday, and as always, till next, we meet.